All right, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome all of you here. And as I get started, I'm curious about something. I'm wondering what all of you were thinking about on your way to church today. As you were on the road to get here, as you walked into this room, what was on your mind? Some of you might have been thinking, man, I am really missing that hour of sleep I lost last night. And just so you know, I will be watching to see if anybody tries to sneak a nap. I can see you. But maybe your thoughts were different. Maybe you're a Campbell County basketball fan and and you're excited and you're thinking about the state tournament coming up this week. And by the way, I want to wish the team well as they head to Lexington. But in the end, here's what I really want to know. I want to know if any of us came to church this morning hoping or expecting to hear from God. Was that you? Maybe so, maybe not. But I'll guarantee you one thing. God does have something to say to each one of us today. He has a message that you need to hear. He also has a message that I need to hear. So I want to stop before we go any further. And I want to pray. And I want to ask that God would speak and that we would listen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for being a God who knows us and you love us anyway. I know you see each one of us here. You know exactly what needs to happen in our lives. You know what we need. You have the power to change us, to transform us, to become exactly who you want us to be. So I pray for that to happen this morning. I pray that our hearts would be open, that you would speak, and that we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm really looking forward to the new series we're starting today. It's called Crucial Conversations, and it's based on the fact that one simple conversation can change your life. Now, that doesn't happen every day, but I'm sure you can look back and remember certain conversations that were major turning points for you. A couple weeks ago at the men's retreat, I shared one of those turning points in my life. It happened over 20 years ago when I was halfway through college and I was still trying to figure out what to do with my life. Up to that point, I had tried several different majors, biology, pre-med, journalism, communications, and on and on. I was struggling to make a clear decision The only thing I knew for sure was that I did not want to follow in my dad's steps and become a minister. That was not an option. But in between my sophomore and junior years at Milligan College, I traveled for the school on a camp team. And our team served as sponsors at youth conferences and church camps. And we were basically doing youth ministry all summer. And we got to the final week of the summer, and we were at this camp in upstate New York, And just like every other week, I led a small group of high school students through different activities and Bible studies. And there was one kid in that group, I I can't even remember his name, but he asked if we could talk. And so we went for a walk around the camp, and he told me about his family and his life back home, and he shared some spiritual struggles that he was going through. And then I'll never forget this part. He said, you know, in, in my church back home, we don't have a youth minister And I don't really have anybody I can talk to like this. And I really wish I had someone like you back home. 
Now, I didn't realize it in that moment, but that was one of the crucial conversations in my life. Because later that week, I felt this conviction like, man, I want to be there for a kid like that. And God, if you want to use me, I'm willing. So before I left that camp, I decided to change my major to Bible and go into youth ministry. And that decision stuck. Like I said, I'd really resisted that idea up until then. But God used this one conversation with this kid whose name I can't even remember. And the course of my life was changed. Without that turning point, I don't know exactly where I'd be today. But I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be doing this. It was a crucial conversation. And for most of us, those moments are pretty rare. But do you know who participated in crucial conversations on almost a daily basis? Jesus. Jesus had these encounters with people that left the other person completely changed. Just read through the Gospels. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and notice how many crucial conversations Jesus is a part of. He would say things like, follow me, or rise up and walk, or don't be afraid. And there was never anyone like Jesus, because everywhere he went, Jesus left a wake of people who were impacted forever by what he said and what he did. And the exciting thing is, that still happens today. So during this series, we're going to listen in on several encounters with Jesus and other people And we're going to see what we can learn from these crucial conversations. And the truth is, a lot of what Jesus said a long time ago is exactly what you and I need to hear today. So we begin this series by looking at a conversation that took place between Jesus and a religious scholar named Nicodemus. Now, some of us are familiar with Nicodemus, but some of us may not know much about him. So let's go over a little background. The first thing you should know about Nicodemus is that He's a pretty big deal. He was one of the Pharisees, which was a very strict group among the Jews. The Pharisees were very focused on keeping the Jewish law to the letter. But Nicodemus was more than just a Pharisee. He was one of the rulers of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was kind of like a Jewish senate. They had legal authority, but they also had religious authority. So for a Jew interested in power and prestige, uh, you're just about at the top of the ladder when you become a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, you couldn't reach that level as a young person, so we can guess that Nicodemus was a little older, maybe in his 60s. But now, take all of this background and let's go to Scripture. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, open up to John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And follow along with me as I read. John 3, 1 says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now already, this is very interesting. Remember, Nicodemus is a big deal He's climbed the ladder in Jewish society. He's reached this place of authority. He's a Pharisee and a teacher and a member of the Sanhedrin. He's an elder worthy of respect. It would make sense. The natural order would be for Jesus to go to Nicodemus to be taught. But it's the other way around, isn't it? Nicodemus is coming to Jesus 
And he's coming at night. And that raises some questions, doesn't it? Why does Nicodemus show up at night? Well, there are several theories about that. One idea is that Nicodemus just wanted a private conversation without distractions. And if these two well-known teachers met in the daytime, that would draw a crowd, and Nicodemus didn't want that. But there are other theories about why Nicodemus showed up after dark. Some people think maybe he was embarrassed or afraid to be seen with Jesus. Or or some think that he and the other religious leaders were planning something shady, like uh, maybe a plot against Jesus. But we have no evidence for any of these theories, and if we take this account at face value, all we know is that Nicodemus was curious. He just wanted to talk to Jesus and learn more. And from the beginning of this conversation, Nicodemus shows Jesus a great deal of respect. Nicodemus called Jesus what? Called him rabbi, teacher. That's a title that Jesus could have used for Nicodemus. So why is the older teacher showing respect to this younger man? Well, Nicodemus says, we've seen the miracles that you perform and we can't do that. And we believe you must have come from God. It's interesting that he uses the word we. It sounds like the religious leaders had gotten together and they said, what is up with this guy? How can he do what he does? Hey, Nicodemus, can you go talk to this Jesus and and, and figure out, get, get to the bottom of this? At this point, it wasn't so much the teaching of Jesus that got their attention. It was those miracles. And so Nicodemus started this conversation, but now the ball is in Jesus' court. And how will he respond? Well, as it turns out, Jesus pretty much ignores everything Nicodemus said, and he takes the conversation in a completely different direction. Listen to this. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, I don't know what Nicodemus was thinking right there, but if I was Nicodemus, I might have said something like, Well, Jesus, I wasn't really asking about the kingdom of God, but now that you bring that up, what are you implying here? Are you saying there's something wrong with me? Are you saying that I'm outside of God's kingdom and I will never see his kingdom unless I'm born again? If that's what you're saying, what in the world are you talking about? What would it mean for me to be born again? So like I said, I don't know what Nicodemus was thinking, But we can read what he actually said. Verse 4, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus said. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now this is one of those occasions where it would be great to have video of this conversation. Because without hearing his tone or seeing his face, it's hard to know how Nicodemus said those words. Was he being sarcastic here? Kind of like, Okay, Jesus, I'll play along. How can an old guy like me be born again? Surely you don't expect me to go back to my mother's womb. So was that his tone, or was he genuinely confused and trying to understand? Like, Jesus, I know you're a miracle worker, but you're not saying I have to become a baby again, are you? Are you? Well, in the end, it doesn't really matter whether he was sarcastic or confused. The bottom line is, Jesus had a message for Nicodemus, and so far, that message wasn't getting through. So Jesus continues to explain. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, at this point... I'm thinking that some of us may be sympathizing with Nicodemus here. Some of us may be saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? Water and spirit and flesh and wind, what does that all mean? And if this seems confusing to you, you're not alone, because scholars have tried to figure out the meaning of these verses for centuries. And there's a lot of disagreement about how to interpret these metaphors. But let's keep this as simple as possible today. Let's talk about what we know to be true from this passage. And here's what we know. Jesus is talking about spiritual rebirth here. Somehow, a spiritual rebirth is a requirement for anyone to enter God's kingdom. Now, as we read the rest of the New Testament, we see the same terminology come up again and again. Water and wind, flesh and spirit. These terms are often associated with a spiritual rebirth when someone becomes a follower of Jesus. For example, being born of water, that reminds us of baptism, the time when a person is buried in water, indicating the death of an old life and the beginning of a new life. And then being born of the Spirit reminds us of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God that's promised to every follower of Christ. But the gist of this little speech from Jesus is not to explain the ins and outs of baptism or the Holy Spirit. The main point is to say, Nicodemus, listen, buddy, you will never reach God's kingdom by being religious or or trying to keep all the rules. It will never happen by your own effort because flesh gives birth to flesh. The only way it will happen is when you experience this spiritual rebirth by the power of God and the Spirit of God. So that was the main point. But guess what? Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Look at the next verse. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And right here, Jesus gives an answer that may seem abrupt and almost rude. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? So Jesus is speaking to a man who's maybe twice his age, and he's coming at Nicodemus pretty hard. Jesus questions his competence, like, hey man, if you really don't understand this, maybe you shouldn't be a teacher at all. Jesus is talking like maybe they should revoke his license. So why is Jesus so harsh with Nicodemus? Why is he doing that? Well, we have to remember, Nicodemus came from a very religious background. He was an insider, Some of us here know what that's like. I know I do. I mentioned that my dad was a preacher. And when I grew up, we were at church all the time. On Sunday mornings, we went to Sunday school and then worship. Had a little break in the afternoon, but then we came back to church on Sunday night. And then we had to go on Wednesday night as well. That was every week. No excuses. And man, we learned the Bible like it was our job. How many of you who grew up in church remember something called sword drills? Anybody remember that? Oh man, sword drills. It was like a race to see who could find things in the Bible the fastest. 
And so here's how it went. Every kid in the room would be sitting down with a Bible on your lap, and it had to stay closed until the teacher or the leader would say something like this. They'd say, Deuteronomy 12, 12, charge! Then it was game on. We're all flipping through the pages trying to find that verse. And if you were the one to put your finger on the verse the, first, the, the, the quickest, then you had to stand up and yell, got it! That meant you won that round. And I don't want to brag, but <laughs> over the years, I got pretty good at the sword drills. And why? Because I grew up in a very religious environment. And I'm not sorry about that. I'm glad that I learned Scripture growing up. But here's the danger. When you grow up in that environment, it's very easy to get confused. You can go to church and you can learn about Jesus. And then you can try to be good and think that you're in good standing with God. But that's not necessarily the case. Because going to church... And trying to be good is not the same thing as a spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus knew a ton of scripture. He had all this respect and authority, but those things did not make him a part of God's kingdom. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell him. But then, again, why was Jesus so impatient with Nicodemus? Well, here's the thing. This should not have been a new concept for Nicodemus. This idea of spiritual rebirth, it was all over the Old Testament. Look at this passage from Ezekiel chapter 36. God is speaking to the Israelites here and he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So getting a brand new heart, getting a new spirit, that sounds a lot like spiritual rebirth, doesn't it? And there's no doubt that Nicodemus would have been familiar with this passage. But this was the problem with many of the Pharisees. They knew a lot of Scripture, but they hadn't traded their old heart for a new heart. They were very religious, very proud, but they weren't humble enough to listen to what God had to say. And in the Gospels, you actually see a pattern as Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. In many cases, he's pretty harsh with them. And why? It's because these religious leaders should have known better. They just weren't humble. They weren't willing to listen to God. Now, you see a different pattern when Jesus speaks with sinners, the people with a bad reputation or those who had made a complete mess of their lives. With that group, We see a lot of compassion and patience from Jesus. In two weeks, we'll get to the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And she's pretty much the opposite of Nicodemus. This woman had a rough past and a bad reputation. She's very much a religious outsider. And Jesus is very gracious with her. But you know what? These same categories exist today. Everyone here falls somewhere on the spectrum between religious insider, like Nicodemus, and religious outsider, like the Samaritan woman. And what we all need to understand is this. Regardless of where you are on this spectrum, you need to hear from Jesus. He has something to say to you specifically. He wants to have a crucial conversation with you. The question is, Are you willing to listen? Well, let's get back to Nicodemus and see if he was ready to listen. 
After challenging his competence as a teacher, Jesus goes on and he says to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. And when he uses the word we there, that may be a reference to the Trinity. And he goes on and says, But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? In other words, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible for you. I'm talking about water and wind and birth. I'm I'm explaining heavenly things in earthly terms. But I can tell it's still not getting through. And then Jesus says in verse 13, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, if you're not familiar with the snake story, that may sound kind of strange. But Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. He would have remembered this Old Testament episode with Moses and the Israelites. You can find it in Numbers chapter 21, where the people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, and and they begin to get negative and critical, not only against their leader Moses, but against God himself. And in their complaining, they sinned against God. And because of their sin, they deserved punishment. And God sends poisonous snakes into the camp, and many people are bitten, and they die. It was kind of a horrific scene. And then the survivors start crying out to Moses for help, and then God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and then place it on a pole in the camp. Everyone who was bitten but then looks up to that serpent, they don't die. They're healed. Now, I will admit, that is a strange story, and I'm not sure it even makes sense until you get to Jesus. See, the Israelites were often used to foreshadow the future, and that old bronze snake was a precursor to Jesus, the Son of Man, who was lifted up on a cross to offer healing to anyone and everyone who was willing to look to Him. The serpent gave physical life, but Jesus gives spiritual life. He offers a spiritual rebirth for those who are dead in their sins. And that's what this whole conversation has been leading up to. Now, if you're paying attention, you know we've read through the first 15 verses of John chapter 3. So what's next? It's John three sixteen, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Even if you have nothing to do with church, you probably know about John 3.16. You saw it under Tim Tebow's eyes or you saw it painted on some shirtless guy's chest at a football game. And many of us are so familiar with John 3.16 that we're liable to just skip past it. How do we know that one? We're in danger of becoming like Nicodemus and those other Pharisees. They had gotten so familiar with Scripture that they stopped listening to God. But what if God has something to say to us today through this well-known verse? After all, it became famous for a reason. Billy Graham has called it the gospel in a nutshell. Others have called it the greatest verse in the Bible. And we often hear this verse in isolation, outside the context of John chapter 3. 
But today, here, we understand that John 3.16 is a part of a crucial conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And this verse appears right after that reference to the snake story from the Old Testament. So keeping that in mind, let's all read John 3.16 together. Let's get it up on the screen. And in one loud voice, let's read. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that's it. That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We've all sinned against God, just like the Israelites, but you know what? God loved us anyway. God loved Nicodemus. God loves me, and He loves you. And because of His love, He offered His one and only Son, to come to earth and then go to the cross and take the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. And just like that bronze snake, Jesus was lifted up and we all have the opportunity to look to him and believe, to put our faith in Jesus and surrender to him, to find eternal life instead of eternal death. So what do you think? Is that the greatest verse in the Bible? I think you can make a pretty good case for that. In fact, someone made that case by breaking this verse down one piece at a time. They said it like this. For God, the greatest giver, so loved the greatest motive, the world, the greatest need, that he gave the greatest act, his one and only son, the greatest gift, That whoever, the greatest invitation, believes the greatest decision in him, the greatest person, shall not perish. The greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. So there's no question about it. John 3.16 is a great and powerful, and encouraging verse. It's a promise that anyone can claim if you've experienced spiritual rebirth in Christ. But see, the reality is many people have not yet been born again in that way. And what did Jesus say? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, as religious as he was, still needed that rebirth. So today, it's certainly possible for a person to go to church without experiencing spiritual rebirth. It's possible for for someone to say the right things and go through the motions, but never be born again because you never got a new heart. So that leads some of us to wonder, Well, how can I be sure? How can I change my status and know that I've been reborn? Well, I do believe there's a reason why Jesus compares this to childbirth. How many of you have been present in the room when a baby was born? It's a miraculous event. Somebody said everybody. That's true. How many of you are old enough to remember it? But what if it was possible, what if it was possible to interview a baby immediately following the birth? And what if you you asked that baby, hey, how did you do it? How did you make this birth happen? 
what the baby would say, you know, it really wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't make it happen. I, I played an important role, I guess, but I wasn't born by my effort. I just surrendered to the process. So if you're wondering whether or not you've been born again, first, I would ask you, have you truly surrendered to Jesus or are you trying to make it on your own? Picture this. Let's say that you have an adopted child in your family and then I go up to that child and I ask, so are you a member of this family? And then what if that child answers, well, I'm trying to be. That would kind of be an indication that they don't really get it yet. You either are a part of the family or you're not. And if you've surrendered to the process of being adopted, you don't have to wonder anymore. You belong to that family. So I would ask you today, have you surrendered to the process? Have you chosen to believe in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your life and your future in his hands? Have you taken an honest look at the sin in your life and then repented and, and turned away from that sin? Have you confessed or, or declared that Jesus is your Lord and your master and he's the boss these days instead of you? Have you followed the instructions Jesus gave to be baptized, to be buried in the water and be raised up to live a new life? And do you see evidence the Holy Spirit is living in you and changing you to become more like Jesus. Do you have a new heart? If you do, you'll see a difference. Now, a new heart doesn't mean you make the right decision every time. A new heart doesn't mean you never mess up, but it does mean you're not who you used to be. So the other question I would ask today is this. What is your heart's posture toward Jesus? You see, before a person is born again, our natural tendency is to back away from Jesus at some point, or even run from Jesus. That tendency may stem from feelings of guilt, or it can also come from selfish desires. But once you experience a spiritual rebirth, you don't want to avoid Jesus anymore. You long to be close to him. You listen to what he has to say, even if it's challenging or confrontational or his words are hard to hear. You no longer back away from Jesus out of guilt or selfish desires because you've been freed of your guilt and he's giving you new desires. So instead, you draw close to Jesus out of love and gratitude and humility. That's the new posture of your heart. Love and gratitude and humility toward Jesus. That's a pretty good indicator that you've been born again. But what about Nicodemus? What happened to him? Did he surrender to, to Jesus? Did he surrender to this new birth? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, as you get to the end of this crucial conversation in John 3, Nicodemus gets quieter and quieter. And by the end, he's not saying anything. And in a way, that's frustrating because a dramatic conversion would be a great ending to this conversation, and it doesn't happen. But in another way, that's helpful because that's real life. For some people, that spiritual rebirth happens very quickly. You encounter Jesus, and then boom, you're ready to surrender right away. For others, though, 
Your birth is a longer process. There are labor pains. There are struggles and doubts. And you have a hard time letting go of control. If I had to guess, I'd say Nicodemus went through that longer process. In John chapter 3, he makes no declaration of faith. But you know what? In John's gospel, Nicodemus shows up two more times. First is in John chapter 7, where Nicodemus stands up and defends Jesus in front of his colleagues. And the other Pharisees just mock him. But the last time we see Nicodemus is in John chapter 19, right after the crucifixion. And we read that two men take the body of Jesus down from the cross The first man is Joseph of Arimathea, and the second one is, you guessed it, Nicodemus. So in John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes to see Jesus under cover of night, but then in John 19, Nicodemus shows his affection for Jesus in broad daylight. Now, I very much hesitate to look at others and decide who has and who has not been born again. It's not my place to judge. But there are times when we see strong evidence that someone's heart has changed. To me, it looks like Nicodemus had a changed heart. So how about you? Has God given you a new heart? Have you been born again? If not, it's time. Look to the cross, believe, surrender, and find new life. Let's pray. Father, I know that sometimes uh, we're not good at listening to you. And some of us, we feel like we've heard a lot of this before, and and so we don't stop and ask, "Are, are you saying something to me today? But God, I know you have something to say. I know you have a message for each one of us, and I pray that it gets through. And I pray, Lord, for for anyone here who has not yet experienced spiritual rebirth. I pray that they will look to you and believe and find what they need in you and have this promise of eternal life. God, I pray for that to happen even in this moment for someone to cross that line. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.